The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. If you are visiting or if you forgot in the holiday season, if you want to pressure Meg into making a CD, uh, she can do that, I'm sure. Uh, we would love to have that happen. Thank you, Meg, as always. I invite your attention this morning to a book that uh, many of you probably, well, go to Ezekiel chapter 1. There you go. Ezekiel chapter 1. And uh, today's uh, topic or today's sermon title is uh, Finding God in a Strange Land. We're going to be looking from now until uh, what we would call Palm Sunday or the Sunday before Easter, next 14 weeks, at the book of Ezekiel. Our goal, at hold your breath, Tower of You, our goal is to do a chapter a week. <gasps> oh my, 14 weeks, we will try. But this is about glory ravaged and glory restored, how Israel lost the glory of God among their nation, but was restored by God through the work and ministry of Ezekiel. And why did we choose this? If you're on our newsletter, uh, email or Facebook, we put out our sermon calendar for the year. We have most, I think we have 40 of the 52 sermons figured out. Uh, why the book of Ezekiel? Well, let me tell you why not. And Andy, go ahead and throw this up if you would, please. It's not because of aliens. And uh, this is an actual quote from a guy in the History Channel says, I, I'm not saying it was aliens, but he says famously, but it was aliens. And he's referring to Ezekiel chapter 1. Let me tell you why we're not preaching the book of Ezekiel. We're not preaching it because it has anything to do with little green men that fly around in saucers that come visit you in the deepest, darkest night. That's sci-fi, by the way. And I love sci-fi, and God is good. God has made this world. He's revealed himself to this world. He's given the Bible to this world. If little green men come, we'll share the gospel with them too. But this has nothing to do with that sort of thing. But I want you to hear what Unity Village had to say. You know Unity Village, that little place, the little uh, 350 highway, kind of by Lee Summit down there? This is what they had to say about the book of Ezekiel. They said, certainly, if you choose to believe Ezekiel is accurately describing history, an alien spacecraft is as good as it gets. But that's all that it is. <laughs> what? This is Unity, who claims from Lee Summit area that they have it all figured out. Friends, this book is going to be hard, but I promise you one thing, you're going to be blessed by it, because it is God's word, amen? And it doesn't have to do with the latest sci-fi channel thriller. It has to do with God, who's greater than any thriller, and you can tell Michael Jackson that as well. It is better than all that sort of thing. God is good. I want you to see that. And I want you to also see, and Andy's going to throw this up, a little bit different introduction today. Paul, Paul was known to be a hard writer. Peter said this about Paul in his writings in the New Testament. He said, quote, Paul's letters contain some hard things to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Look, people have taken this book of Ezekiel and flipped it on its head to make their five minutes on the History Channel. But I tell you, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do about God himself. And as we start a new decade, as we start a new year, as we start a new series, I want to remind you about that. It is about him. 
and it will always be about him here at Tower View Baptist Church. That's why. The, the, the big idea is simply this. If you're visiting or if it's been a week or two, the big idea is our thesis, our summary of the whole sermon. It's this, that the light of God's glory often shines into our lives during our darkest hours. Do you agree with that? When your life has sunk, God shines the brightest. And he shines the brightest even when it's not. But the darker the night, the brighter the light. I want to remind you this morning that today we are here because we want to exalt God. That's why we're here. A lot of churches do a lot of different things. What we pray as we go through the study of Ezekiel, a book that even our, one of our pastors admitted, he said, yeah, I'm glad you're doing that, not me. I think that was a, a quote from one of our pastors over here. And uh, so we will bumble through this together, but I pray God is glorified. I pray it shines brightly for what we need to see. So friends, this morning, six things, some longer than others, and yes, they all start with an E. Go figure. Get over it. <laughs> You'll live. Six aspects of God's glory this morning. I want you to see first the exalted vision. Uh, the exalted vision that Ezekiel has. And Andy, you can go to the next slide. The exalted vision. The electric storm. This, this vision that he has and all that comes with it in verse 4. And the extraordinary beings that may, may be something of a nightmare, but are actually God's messengers. And then the wheels. What's up with these wheels we're going to read about? Not wheels on a car, but wheels. Then the enormous expanse that exists between us and the creatures and even God. And then finally, the enthroned, God himself, as Ezekiel sees him high and lifted up. Now, if you're a Tower of you faithful person, you usually stand right now. And I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute, but we're not going to read all the chapter, okay? We are going to read verses 25 to 28, the very end of the chapter, and then we'll sit back down because it would take us longer to read. And we're going to read as we go, but specifically read this as we stand together. So if you're able to stand, we'll read in verses 25 to 28. As we start the study, finding God in a strange land, glory ravaged, glory revealed, the book of Ezekiel, as we look at the Old Testament this morning. Here's what it says in verses 25 to 28. The end of his vision, Ezekiel says this. He says, And there came a voice above the expanse over their heads, and when they stood, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of throne was a likeness with a human appearance. Do you know who that is? His name is J-E-S-U-S. And upward, verse 27, from what had appeared of his waist, I saw it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward, I saw that it as were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. Verse 28, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, the rainbow, so that the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. I will be completely transparent with you. This is a tough book even to write a sermon for. It's tough. It took a lot of work in the sermon. I don't say that and say, wait, go there and go. But I, I covet your prayers over the next few weeks. I covet your, your, your reading ahead and reading the scripture. We're doing a chapter a week. We'll remind you of that through email and Facebook. But I'm excited for what God has in this book because it's pretty cool stuff. It's scary at times, to be honest, but it's really neat and cool because it lifts up God for who he is. Let's pray today. May he be magnified as we start. Father, we, we know that what often comes in our minds 
is the most important thing to us. And Father, as Tozer, A.W. Tozer once said, Father, may that be much about you. We look around all of life and we see different aspects of people who claim to know you and, and experience you and have things about you. But Father, if it doesn't live and, uh, line up and jive with your word, we know that it can't be true. So Father, be glorified. This is a tough book. It may leave more head scratching than, than uh, mind sinking at times uh, as to what we take away. But Father, may what we study here be, first off, a bigger vision of you. And as we see a bigger vision of you, may that impact us at the most personal spot in our lives and our church as we reach out this neighborhood with the gospel and everywhere we are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Andy, if you want to go ahead and put up that next brown slide. So how do you start off a book like this? Well, any good Bible study is going to try and give you some type of overview. And I know this is hard to see. We'll put this out, as always, on our website afterwards. But Ezekiel was a real man who lived in a real time a long time ago. Even Leon, who's 84 today, was not alive when this happened. Hi, Leon. <laughs> I told you I was going to get you at some point. He just smiles. But Ezekiel lived under Nebuchadnezzar, and he was Nebuchadnezzar was an evil king that God used to ransack Israel. And in doing so, Nebuchadnezzar took back with him many of the people of Israel, the, pr the prim and proper, the educated, basically anyone who had any clout, any thing in life, he took back with them. Nebuchadnezzar seized Jerusalem three times, but finally in 586 B.C., the, the, the city fell. And many of you know, many of you have been to Israel, I think Lorna Mason, you've been there, you know there's still one wall standing, and that's the, the wall that Solomon had built. We call it the Wailing Wall today. It's the wall that people pray to when you see a picture of Israel. They had destroyed basically everything, and the temple was rebuilt at, at, at one other time, but one wall still stands today. But Ezekiel was a priest. He was about 25 years old. He was about Andy Nisley's age, if you want to put that age out there, our new daddy. And you pray for baby Chloe as, as, as Andy and Bethany pray for their young one in the hospital. But about Andy's age. And I put that out there to say, because he was, he was a priest, and he was getting ready to go into the priesthood. But his whole life had been changed. The walls had literally come falling down. Everything had changed. He's not living in Jerusalem anymore. He's all the way across in modern-day Iraq, Iran. His whole life had changed. So here's a man who had one direction for his life, and all of a sudden, it literally all came crumbling down. And so Ezekiel was chosen by God to bring about visions of prophecy to those people who were transported from Jerusalem over to Babylon, present-day, modern-day Iraq, and so as he gives this message, the first chapter, he has to see God for who he is. Before he can be useful, he has to see God for who he is. For some of you, it was before when you got married and, it all, and, and the newness wore off and, you know, all those things like the toothbrush in the wrong place and the toothpaste in the sink or whatever you got that drove you nuts. It took a little while before you saw things for how they really were, even though you still love that person. And husbands especially, it took a little while for you to realize that when your wife says something, you better perk up and listen. Amen? <laughs> and so too with Ezekiel. He needed the ears to listen. He needed the vision to see that everything he was about to do was for one purpose, to bring God glory. And he is contemporaries with or lived in the same time as Jeremiah and Daniel. Each God raised up at the time. But Ezekiel, boy, he's just a strange nut. 
I don't know how to say that. There's, there are several people that I would not like to meet. Ezekiel would be one of them because he's just a strange guy. And as we go through this book, you're going to see his strangeness come out. And, and I want you to know that. But I want you to also know that God used him and he embraced whatever God put before him. Are you ready to jump into this? Let's go up to chapter 1, verse 1 as we start. The exalted vision, the exalted vision. Guys, my goal here is we're going to read through this as best we can. We'll go as far as we can. We'll do what we can, all right? But let's start out with the exalted vision. You see there in verse 1, it says, In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day. The 30 years here probably refers to Ezekiel's age. He was a priest. We'll we'll see that in verse 3. But this probably refers to his age. At age 30, he was entering the priesthood. He was in the final stages. But God had something better for him. Even though that was the plan, God moved him a different direction, and he still does that today. And, and he says, As I was among the exiles by the Jabar, Jabar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. The Jabar here is the main canal that is in modern-day Iraq. It's still there today. It's a main thoroughfare through the country. But the heavens were opened. And I want you to admit, don't miss this. This is not Ezekiel trying to rev himself up like a whirling dervish to have some supernatural experiential experience, if that makes any sense. This is God opening Ezekiel's mind and heart, just like God did at Joseph and Mary at the Christmas story. And so God must take charge for us to see God. Now, this is the fifth year he's in exile, and this isn't what he wanted. But this is what God had for him. And you pick it up in verse 2, and he goes on to say, On the fifth day of the month, in the fifth year of exile, the king uh, Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi. I just love that name, Buzi. Say that five times fast. What's your daddy's name, Buzi? (laughs) What do you got on that? It's just a fun name to say. But he was not in the temple. He was not in the promised land. We don't know anything about his father, but, but there must have been a priestly line here. You don't just jump in the priesthood. It's a family lineage. So his daddy was probably a priest. And we know that though he was forsaken on earth, he's remembered in heaven, and God lays his hand on him. The word of the Lord came to him. Church, I want to remind you that this morning the word of the Lord is coming to you. And I am an unworthy messenger as I am, but you're hearing the word of the Lord, and you are responsible as I am for what is told from this pulpit. Don't take for granted hearing the word of God. Don't take it for granted, because you never know when that time... Listen, let's just call for what it is. United Methodist Church right now is getting ready to split both ways. And the church, mainly the churches in America right now, are not on board with the word of God. They're on board with anything other than the word of God. Friends, I pray our church never has to make a decision between we follow culture or we follow God. We always follow God because the word of the Lord has come to us. Amen? And that's what we know. In our toughest times, though, and Andy will put this up, in our toughest times is when God lays hold of us. In our toughest times is when God lays hold of us. Think about Moses. He was 80 years old on the back woods of the desert in a faraway place, and God used him. Paul was doing at the height of his ministry, and he was blinded on the road to Emmaus, and God used that blindness to bring him greater good. John, when he was in his 90s, when he thought all his ministry was done on the island of Patmos, was caught up to heaven, and God used his ministry. Ezekiel had to learn from the get-go, in his toughest times, God is faithful, and that's what he needed to know go to the second point. These first two points are pretty quick. Not only the exalted vision, 
not only the exalted vision, but also the electric storm. Look at verse 4, the electric storm. He says, as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire as a gleaming metal. What is he seeing here? Well, he's seeing lightning bolts. And notice that word continually. God is here in the midst of this vision and God wants him to see himself in a particular light. God doesn't come as Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, neighborhood, neighborhood. He comes with lightning and thunder. And there's a bright light. It's not a calm, passive, hallmark, uh, Thomas Kincaid scene here. It puts a sense of awe into him, as if there was a glowing furnace, a bright light around him. It's a blazing light. It's the holy glory of God. And, and this is how God appeared to Elijah. This is how God appeared to Job in the whirlwind. This is how God appeared to the psalmist in Psalm 87. This is how God appeared in Isaiah 29, Jeremiah 4, Nahum 1, Zechariah 9, fill in the blank verse. It's how God appears. Our God is a consuming fire. God is not a doting grandfather who is pleading with people to come to him. Oh, if you just believe in me. Oh, please come to me. The Islamic God has more people than me and I got to win the score. Please come to me. Our God is not a whimsical God. This is our God. He's a God of glory and power, and he's coming. And he had to see, Ezekiel did, this electrical storm because there are few things more powerful, and Andy will throw this up, there are few things more powerful in life than knowing where God wants you to be. Now, I would be scared. God, your love and kindness, and you're throwing electricity at me? What's wrong with you? But this is what God sent him. Because we need to know, and Ezekiel needed to know, that this is not an isolated view of God. This is the consistent view of God. Guys, this is why we got to be careful about movies about Jesus. Do you know why? Because movies about Jesus have Jesus like this Norwegian, Swedish, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy that couldn't hurt a fly. Now, God is gentle as a lamb. He, he's doting like a mother. He tells us this. But he also is a consuming fire. The Lord of lords who will say to those people, away from me, I never knew you. He will judge the world. And Ezekiel had to see this. Friends, if you know where God has put you, you need to remember that that's right where you need to be. And for God's purpose for Ezekiel, as scary as it was, it was right in the midst of this vision electrical storm. I want you to see the third thing. We'll spend some time here. I want you to see the extraordinary beings. Look at verse 5. The storm has not yet passed, but in the middle of it, there are four living beings who are attendants of God's glory. We're going to read verse 5 down to verse 14 just quickly, so just follow along. And it says, after this uh, storm came, and from the midst of it, and from the midst of the storm, came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. He's going to tell us. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a cast's foot, and they sprinkled, or excuse me, sparkled like burnished bronze. Verse 8, under their wings on four sides they had human hands. On four they had faces, and their wings were like this. Verse 9, their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight and forward without turning as they went. I'm going to stop right there for now. That's a lot. Does that not just weird you out? 
Come on, if you're honest with this, you're thinking in your mind, some of you artistic people, I thought of Diana and some others who just can conceptualize these things. I thought about putting a picture up here, but it, I didn't want to scare you because it just, it just, just gives you the eebie-jeebies for a minute. So who are these people? Why are they here? Well, verse 5 tells us that it's not a mystery. They're called out. They're living beings. These are, these are what we know as the cherubim, the angels closest to God himself. Ezekiel 9, we'll get there uh, probably by the end of February, Ezekiel 9 will tell us that they stand closest to God and guard his glory. These are not alien spacecrafts, as some have posited. These are people, these are beings, living beings, who are greater than us even, who have the job to guard the glory of God. They were the ones at the uh, Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were shoved out who stood guard to not let anyone in. These are the cherubim. They are the ones in Revelation 4, 6 who are the four living creatures and were singing to him. But you notice in this verse 6 that their appearance had a human form. Were they human or are they angelic? Yes. Four faces that all look different directions. Now, moms and dads, I've stopped for a moment and thought, God, why did you not give every parent this possibility? It signifies that they are highly intelligent and they, they see all around them. And they have wings. You notice that in verse 6, they have wings. Not only are they smart, but they're swift to fly forward and backward to do the will of God. Verse 7 says their legs are straight. Why are they not bent? Why are they not like a 100-meter dash runner getting ready to run out of the blocks? Well, they're like pillars. They are very upright and intact. They're capable of holding up great weight is what we come to know. And in verse 7, it says they feel like a calf's hook, or a hoof, rather, H-O-O-F. They're very stable. They're nimble. This is a conveying a reality. This is what they look like. This is not touched by an angel, mid-1990s, uh, lady on the prairie who used to star in that show kind of thing. These are people who would keep you up at night on Halloween night. <laughs> but I want to remind you, they are not here to do harm. They're here to guard the glory of God. And as they guard and as they do these things, like Moses, they have a glow that they shine like the star, uh, shine like uh, the noonday sun. That's what Mo Moses did, and that's what uh, Pastor Nelson read to us. But in verse 8, they have human hands. They have human hands. That represents their precision. They're very skilled. They're very gifted, these cherubim, these angelic beings. So let me just summarize this for you quickly. They are smart. They're swift. They're strong. This is not on the screen, by the way. They're stable. They're splendid, and they're skilled. And they have faces and wings. And the wings touch one another, each with straight forward, verse 9. Two wings forward, up and out, and two wings next to the angel next to them. Now, you figure that one out. They have two wings out to touch the angel next to them, and they have two wings forward. This speaks to us about how set apart God really is. It speaks to us about how holy he is, about how transcendent, how above us he is. And though we come to him in prayer, we must never forget it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have access to this one. What access do we have? That in the middle of the night, we can cry out and the God of the universe hears us. What a privilege, guys. What a privilege, that's why we must not be cavalier in spirit of prayer around the holiness of God because these angels, their whole job is the guard and they do everything they can to shield themselves and touch each other to keep things moving because they know that no one can see the glory of God apart from the, 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 the only name that says Jesus Christ. And verse 9 says, their faces did not move when they touched each other. 
There's no need to turn their head because they have a face in every direction. Now look at verse 10. Not only do they have the likeness of their faces, but I want you to notice verse 10. This is very weird. If you're confused, it's okay. Uh, join the crowd. But as for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had a face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle on the other side. I'm not trying to keep you up at night. But if you aren't a Christian, you didn't believe in God, and someone told you about this, this would keep you up at night. Would you agree with that? So what does all this mean? Why do they have these faces? Well, these faces are here for one particular thing. There's a total of 16 faces. Each one's unique. One like a man, one like a lion, one like an ox, one like an eagle. The man symbolizes that they are smart. They are intelligent. The lion symbolizes that they're strong. The ox symbolizes that they're a servant. An ox is like a, a push horse, a, a mule in a sense. They, they work hard. And the eagle that they're swift. In other words, they're extremely gifted. God didn't just make them to do something. They have to have the giftings to do what God tells them. And notice verse 11. It says, with two wings, they covered their body. Each creature had two wings, and each one touched the wing of the other. And with two, they covered their body. Two stretch forward to touch the other angels to protect the glory of God, and with the other two, they protect themselves. Moses removed his sandals, didn't he? When he said, God told him, this is what? This is holy ground. It shows their unworthiness that they have to touch each other and they have to shield themselves from God himself. Yet we walk into worship and be like, hey, what's up, Jesus? How you doing, man? What's up, dog? God should be considered our friend, right? But let's not do anything the angels don't do. May we come humbly. And notice verse 12, they come straight forward. Notice it says in verse 12, they come straight forward wherever the Spirit went. And whenever the Spirit went and go, they went without turning as they went. They would advance to do God's will. When God said, angels, we're going this way, they went. When God said, we're going this way, they followed. There wasn't any crying out, God, that's not fair. I don't want to do that. They go wherever God says. And then in verse 13, something that looked like burning coals, you see that there, verse 13, something like burning coals or the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. What in the world is this? I believe it's, it's symbolizing God himself, that God is moving back and forth among them, and as he moves, they protect themselves and protect his glory but God's glory is radiating from them, and God is on fire from his holiness. It's an intimidating scene. It, I'm going to be very unholy with this illustration. It's almost like, and please take this with a small grain of salt here, but it's almost like in Ghostbusters when they come to the very end, and they're before that gate, and they all bring out their guns, and it's like this big display, and it's a visual display. Guys, that Ghostbusters movie, and I, please take it as a, a weak illustration here, has nothing to what's happening here. This blazing glory that these angels are protecting is so fierce, they themselves have to cover themselves. That's the kind of God we serve. We would be pulling back and looking for refuge, I can tell you that much. And verse 14 says, two and four, the angels were like bolts of lightning. And it says in verse 14, as it does in Revelation 4, it says... And, and the fire was bright, and now the fire went forth lightning. In verse 14, living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of lightning. Wherever God says, they go. 
And that's why I want to remind you this morning as we close this point that it would be easier to count all the stars in the heavens and all the grain of sand on the earth than to measure or describe our God. He is that big. Aren't you grateful God gave us enough of himself to tell us about himself? Aren't you grateful for that? How awesome God must be to be served by these beings. You tell me who you see God is in your life. You go ask a random person on the street, who is God? They're going to give you a thousand different answers. But we know this one answer. God is God. There is none like him. Down with Muhammad. Down with Zoroaster. Down with Confucius. Down with Mary Eddie Baker. Down with Mormonism. Down with Jehovah's Witnesses. Down with anyone who says God is anything but what he says in Scripture. We love all people. We serve them. But we have to be clear about who our God is. Church, that is going to be our greatest challenge going forward as a church. We have to be clear who God is. Church member, it is not my job to, to, to parrot words for you about people in your life who need to know Jesus Christ. You must be prepared to do that. Can you describe this God to other people? If we gave you a piece of paper, and I don't mean this meanly, please hear my heart in this. If we gave you a piece of paper and said, describe God in ten words, could you do it? Do you know more about your favorite sports team than you know more about your God? Do you know more about the nuts and bolts of your car than you know about your God? Do you know more about Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Phil, and Ellen than you know about our God? May we never lose sight of who he is. He is that worthy. Amen? May we do it together. What a vision. And it's not done. No, the fourth point. Here it is. The wheels. Here come the wheels. Are you ready for this? My son was very interested in this when I talked to him about it earlier. He loves wheels. But it isn't quite the same wheels. Look at verse 15. You ready? Here it goes. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of them. So, so I want you to get this picture. There's a huge wheel so immense that its top is in heaven and its bottom is in earth. All four of these wheels are at right angles, you could say. They are interconnected, and they make a perfect square. These four wheels are ready to roll on the earth. They're ready to roll down the road, so to speak. Verse 16 tells us that it is an appearance of, I'm not sure what your translation says here. Mine says, as for the appearance, they have the appearance like of gleaming burl. What is that? I had to look that one up. Burl, B-E-R-Y-L. They are made of precision is basically what that means. They have the same likeness. They have the same measurements. That's why we know they're at right angles to one another. Verse 16, I'm going quickly here. But notice also that it says there's a wheel within a wheel. Chris, I thought of, um, Chris, I thought of you on this because you're an engineer. And I thought, if Chris was preaching this, how would he preach this text? So I tried to put on my engineering cap, and it still didn't work. Geometry and I didn't get along in high school as it was. But it's like the gears in a machine. These wheels are like the socket gear shifts in a machine that moves perfectly together. Does that make sense? It's like the wheels are turning each other to keep on going. Does that make any sense at all? So what is it? What is it? I'm here to tell you, and I submit to you, the wheels are the providence of God, interconnected with all God's work moving forward and directed in heaven and rolling forward on earth. As God moves his will forward, these angels take it forward. As God moves this way, they take it that way. As God goes here, they go there. And at the direction of heaven, with certainty and like gears in an engine, all these angels work out the will of God together. What an awesome scene. Makes you wonder why Satan rebelled against God, doesn't it? 
Because if this is the God that they serve, why in the world would he want to try and take a piece of his own pie? What happens above the wheels affects everything. And what happens, we know, is what Ephesians 1.11 tells us. God works all things after the counsel of his will. Romans 8.28, if you don't have a life verse, this might be it. For we know that God works all things together for what? For the good of those who love him, and we, we, we forget that last part often, for the good of those who love him and who are called according to your purpose, his purpose. Verse 17, notice what it says. These wheels, wherever they move, they move in four, they move in the four directions. Wherever the spirit would go, they went. Wherever the wheels go, they go without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, verse 18, and the rims of all Four were full of eyes all around them. It just gets creepier as it goes, doesn't it? <laughs> full of eyes. God has perfect knowledge of everything that happens. Nothing exists outside his knowledge. Verse 19, it says, whenever they move, the wheels moved. God is moving them. They move the wheels. The wheels rise. God pushes them along, and they go with it. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 tells us, that whenever the Spirit, that could be capital S for you, referring to the Holy Spirit or lowercase s, regardless, wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So smaller capital, what matters is God is the direction center. Whatever God says goes. It's like the Israelites in the desert. Do you remember that scene? You remember the scene of the glory cloud? Do you remember that? The Israelites could only go as far as the cloud went, and when the cloud moved, what happened to the Israelites? They moved, right? So guys, what does this all mean? What does this all mean for us? I want to remind you this morning, and this is very straightforward, that nothing just occurs. Nothing just occurs. God always has a reason, doesn't he? We don't believe, don't you love those sappy? No, you don't. Please tell me you don't. Lifetime movies? Hallmark Channel movies? I know all the guys in here are just like, yeah, bring on, bring on the two-hour specials of these shows. You know, where, where these guy, this guy who's like the rough and tumble guy meets the prim and proper girl, and the, it all works out that they get together, and they look at each other, and they said, it must be fate. <laughs> well, it was a Hollywood script, and you got paid to, to act it out. I don't think it was much fate to it, but it's all there. Guys, we don't believe in fate. We don't believe in random happenstance. We don't believe in a God who grows and learns as he goes. We believe in a God that before eternity passed said, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to play out. And this is how it's going to be carried out. And here it is. What an awesome God. We don't have a God, as some posit, that is like a choose-your-own-adventure, that if you go to the right, he's confused. And he tries to figure out why you went to the right and tries to compensate for it like a computer program would a bad input error. Our God is calculated. Our God is consistent. Our God is faithful. And Ezekiel needed to know that before he went out to preach because his culture was not consistent, his culture was not faithful, and his culture was anything like God was. Sound anything like today? These wheels moving are God moving his plans forward day after day after day after day. And we get to be a part of that. How cool is our God? Number five, very, very short point. Look at verses 22 to 25, 24, excuse me, the enormous expanse. We've seen the vision, the storm, the extraordinary beings, the large wheels. 
finally the expanse. Notice verse 22. It says, Over the heads of the living creatures there is a likeness of an expanse, shining like an awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. Verse 23. And under the expanse of their wings stretched out straight one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard, Ezekiel said, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of a tumult, like the sound of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. What in the world is happening? Many of you have used that illustration in sharing the gospel where there's a big canyon between God and man. Do you know what I'm talking about? The bridge illustration, maybe you're familiar with that where you take someone through the gospel and, and, and God and you are like this, but sin takes us apart like this. You remember that illustration? It's exactly what they're showing here. Revelation 4, 6 saw the same vision. It shows the separateness of God. There's a chasm between God and his creation. Even these angelic beings are still not God. He alone is God. They have to keep their distance. They have to have space because they even created higher than us in the angelic realm have to have wings stretched out because this God is like a mighty waterfall. The sound of him was like the sound of waters rushing. Anyone ever been to Niagara Falls before? Anybody? I've never been there. I hear it's beautiful. I hear it's, it's deafening to some degree. Imagine that times eternity. And this is what Ezekiel's here. All glorious, all majestic. Friends, I want to remind you today that from the axis of the universe to the farthest reaches of its expanse, Jesus Christ is Lord indeed. And Andy will throw that up there. That if you're not a Christian here today, and if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, that, that there is a God and he loves us so much, but there is a separation. Our sins have separated us from him. That even the highest angels who have never sinned cannot but stand at a distance from him because he is that holy. But by his grace, through his son, Jesus Christ, he gave us access to him and only through Jesus. I say this a lot. And I don't say it any other reason because I want to remind you how awesome God is and how feeble we are. You don't need me to stand between your gap. Well, pastor, that's what we hired you to do. So on judgment day, you can vouch for me that I was a Christian. I went to church and I did all the Christian things at Tower View Baptist Church. Not a, not a chance. That's why you don't need a priest to confess to. There's one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. The only way to expand that gap is to go through him. Ezekiel needed to see not only these angelic beings that they couldn't stand close to him, but he needed to see how far his sins had separated him and his nation from God and God himself. Last point, number six, the enormous expanse. And finally, number six, the enthroned. The enthroned. We've read it, but I'll just reference it again. Look at verse 26. He says, And above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. Seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with human appearance. Guys, who in the world is this? It is Jesus Christ. The throne of God, the one who's all authority over heaven and earth. The, the first object he saw was a throne. It's not of gold or pr gold streets or crystal things that we sing about in gospel music. It is Jesus Christ. This is why our lyrics at our church as we sing are not about us. It's about him. He saw the throne standing and occupied in a figure like a man. Uh, this is a side note, but many times, who walked with the, the men in the fire in Daniel? Do you remember that story? Who walked in the furnace of the fire? 
Daniel recorded it as one like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Who was it that walked in the garden with those uh, Adam and Eve? It wasn't God the Father. He has not flesh and bones, John 4 tells us. It was Jesus Christ. How does all that work? Great question. There's a whole class on it in seminary you can take. But I can tell you this. Jesus has always been the same. He, had, he came to earth before he came to earth as a baby, and he did so often called the angel of the Lord. What he sees in verse 26 is Jesus himself. Verse 27, from the loins and upwards, something glowing like a metal. This is what John saw in Patmos. There was a voice behind him, something like fire. He outshined everything. Let me just put it to you simply. Christ is risen. He is ascended. He is enthroned. He is crowned. He is reigning. He is interceding. He's receiving. He is saving. He is hearing. He is answering, he is building, and he is preparing, and he's been doing it since Ezekiel's time and long before. This is our God. And notice the rainbow in the clouds. Did you love that? I, did it rain here last Saturday? Like eight days ago, it poured down in Oklahoma for a while. I had a thunderstorm, and uh, my in-law's house is out in the country, and we saw a double-beamed rainbow. It was really cool. Got a picture of a double-beamed rainbow. It's exactly what's happening here. The rainbow that God said in Noah that he'd never flood the earth again was a promise of peace. And so as he comes through this vision that just wrecked his world, the last thing he sees is a promise of peace. Ezekiel, this is who I am, but I'm on your side. Ezekiel, this is my character. I'm not no one other than who I am, but I'm with you. And if you're a Christian here today, this is your God, but he's with you even in the midst of all the crazy stuff that goes on. Three quick things. Andy, throw them up, please. We'll close here. I want to remind you, as we close, that the gospel is on every page. That from the most gory, nasty, weird thing in Leviticus to the greatest triumphant in Revelation, it is about Jesus Christ. Amen? The gospel is on every page. And friends, we need to be reminded of that this morning. And I want to remind you secondly, and we'll keep these up, I want to remind you, secondly, that someday even the highest spirit beings will flee from the glory of God. Revelation 20, verse 12 tells us that all heaven and earth fled away from his presence. Whose presence? The same presence of this one who was enthroned in heaven that he saw. And finally, brother, we need to sing this next week. Uh, brother, we, we've got, I think you know which song I'm referring to. There's an old song by William uh, Cowper, I believe it is, Cowper, Cowper, one of those it goes, God, it says, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to behold. And we'll just have to sing it. We're going to preview it. But God moves in a mysterious way. Not mysterious to him, but mysterious to us. Some of you are going through things right now that you can't even imagine you would have been at two weeks ago. Our son went in the hospital last night. Thank you for your prayers. I don't say that to just, I just put that out there. If you would have asked us a week ago whether our son would be in the hospital, we would have laughed and said, really? That kid ate like 10 Christmas dinners to himself. I mean, what's he going to the hospital for? You know, that sort of thing. You never know what life's going to throw you. We have a young family here whose baby was born early that's doing well. Pray for baby Chloe. We have a lady in our church who fell and broke her arm that was just, you know, just random, from our viewpoint, random things that seem to occur. But I wanted to remind you, nothing is lost in God's providence. Everything takes us back to the cross and who God is. And church, we may hit some dips and lows in church life here for whatever reason. But I want to remind you, if we stay faithful to him, he is faithful when we are faithless. He is good. He's God. 
I'm tired. <laughs> Ezekiel wears you down. But we did it. Yay! We did it. Next week, Ezekiel 2. Let's pray together. Thank you for your patience, and thank you for uh, trudging through this tough chapter with us. Let's pray together before we partake of the Lord's Supper. Lord, as we come, we come as ones who need your, your grace. We come as ones who need your, your glory, Father, not because we're worthy, but because we want you to be honored as worthy. Father, as we come together, we praise you and thank you. We ask these things today in Jesus' name.